0: Welcome, ladies and gents, to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho Podcast, where it is our job to talk about, you know, different orthopedic injuries and um, conditions, and try to at least get y'all well versed, just so you feel comfortable managing it. and Maybe even answer some questions on it. Um, I am one of the hosts, Dr. Cole, and I'm accompanied here with my co-host.
1: Hey guys, it's Dr. Jamal Fitz back in today.
0: Oh man, and uh, we're back again for another one. Um, this time we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, ACL injuries, but I'm going to go ahead and let my co-host here, uh, Dr. Fitz, do this
1: do this rolling introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm actually really happy to introduce our next speaker. Uh, he was one of my first mentors that I probably ever had uh, back in medical school. Uh, it's Dr. Nicholas Bonag. He's a orthopedic surgeon uh, that specializes in sports. Uh, did his residency at the University of Cincinnati, his fellowship at the Campbell Clinic off in Memphis. Uh, he's coming today to speak about ACL tears and ACL injuries. And uh, I know that's a pretty hot topic, one that, you know, uh, all the sports guys like to talk about. Everybody who's interested in sports uh, kind of look into it. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Just a little disclaimer he was nice enough to actually let us into his home. Uh, we actually went out to Marietta and hung out in his house so there's oh, a few yeah. extra <laughs> there's a few extra extra <laughs> guests on this podcast uh some just of his lovely... around yeah just hanging around some of his <laughs> lovely kids so uh i hope you guys still enjoy it though all right you are now listening to nailed it the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors jay fitz and wendell cole
0: it. thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Of course, of course. Uh, again, it's me, Dr. Cole, and... And Dr. Jay Fitz. All right, so we kind of wanted to start off kind of just asking you some questions about yourself, you know, trying to get to know you a little bit, and then we'll go ahead and dive deeply into the ACL injuries. Cool? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so the first question is, if you can go back and give yourself, your 25-year-old self, some advice, what would you say?
2: Well, that's a great, great starting question. <laughs> Twenty-five year old self, so that would be me finishing up medical school, uh, right? Because mm-hmm. you guys are about That's that right, age, yeah. yeah. Um, I would say um, travel as much as you can um, before you you know start to have a family. I'd say learn you know learn as much as you can about everything, um, and really uh, just get to get to know uh, the world, get to know yourself before you get into this kind of journey of life where you're going to be working and working very hard, um, with long hours and, um, you know, things get really busy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. it's a good one. Second question. Uh, one
1: name, one book that has changed your life and how did it change it? If you, if you can think of one,
2: yeah, that's, that's a, a great question. I think the, uh, the, uh, the book is by, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, and it is a book about um, success. I'm, I'm, I'm looking up the uh, title real quick. We definitely put you on the spot right there. So <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I understand
2: on this one. The book is called Outliers. Uh, I have that book. I know what you're yeah. talking about. And I haven't um, read it. And it's just a book about, you know, how many hours it takes to kind of perfect a craft and be good at something. And the magic number is 10,000 hours, but it kind of goes through the, the journey of um you know how to get there and what it takes. Actually, my my chairman, Dr. Stern, bought that book for me um, during residency, and so that is definitely a book that uh, you know I, I constantly refer back to. I uh, might have to add that one to my Amazon cart tonight. Yeah, I need to go do that. One. And then there's another one. Um, it's called it's about mindfulness and, and uh, med- meditation as it re- pertains to medicine. Um, I'll have to get you the author of that, but that's also another book that I'm reading now that I think can be very helpful with the patient experience. That's great. Love that. Thank you. And uh, the last
0: last one we have, last question, I guess, beginning question we have is, you have a quote that you live your
2: life by and why? Getting deep. <laughs> no, it is getting deep. Um, yeah, so the one that I kind of gone by and tried to live uh my life buys by, I think it's T.S. Elliott, and it, it's only those who uh, uh, go so far can figure out how far they can go. So basically, it's like unless you take chances and really you know, push yourself to the limit, you really won't know what you're capable of. So really nice. just kind of a get after it uh, kind of quote.
0: Nice. I, I love that. And the last thing here, so we typically kind of want to do like one-liners, right? Like you go to a hospital and you'd see a patient and like, this is a 34-year-old male with X, Y, and Z. And we want to know what yours is. So, for example, mine is I'm a 25-year-old male. Uh, Well, now I'm a 25-year-old doctor. And, uh, I like to hang out with my friends, like to hang out with my family and I love to travel or Dr. Fitz would be
1: a uh, 27 year old doctor. enjoy living life to the fullest, traveling, spending time with my loved ones and, uh, looking forward to embarking on this new journey of orthopedics.
2: So with yeah. that, what would your one line? Yeah, be? so I would say, you know, I'm a 35 year old male, uh, who's passionate about everything I do. And, uh, and you know, my, my biggest priorities are, you know, family, faith and, uh, uh, education and yeah i try to try to live by those love it yeah. awesome now let's dive
0: deep into some uh, acl injuries yeah so we love to start off with a case and then kind of just go from there so let's just say somebody comes into your office there's a 25 year old male and he comes in for knee pain and swelling uh, he said the pain started yesterday he was playing basketball twisted his knee and uh Heard a pop, couldn't finish playing the game, and mm-hmm. now he came into your office. So, what are some of the things that you kind of want to look for on history and physical exam?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, you kind of laid it out for me, but, yeah, you look for a mechanism of injury. So, basketball, um, he's obviously had an acute injury, felt a pop, the swelling. um So that history there, you kind of look for, you know, that kind of leads you down the direction of possibly a ligament injury like an ACL tear. You may ask about symptoms, you know, does the knee give out on you? Does it buckle? Were you able to go back into the game and play, or did you have to sit out? Um, Is this the first time this happened? You know, is this an acute injury? Is this something that you've been dealing with a few years ago and now it's recurred? Um, And then after that, a big thing is the physical exam. Obviously, you want to look at the knee um, is there an effusion? So fluid buildup in the knee. What is their range of motion? And then probably the biggest thing is you want to look at a Lochman's test, which is to test the stability of the knee and, f- and figure out whether the ACL is competent uh, or not. Right. And
0: the Lockman test, for those that are listening, um, that most of them should know what a Lockman test is, but if it's not, how would you describe what a Lockman test is, if you had to explain yeah, it out?
2: So a Lochman test is used to determine whether there is an endpoint when you Stabilize the femur and tried to pull the tibia anteriorly. Um, and it's done with the patient supine, so on their back, with the knee in about 20 or 30 degrees of knee flexion. And you are looking to see if there is or is not an endpoint. Uh, if there's an endpoint, that means the ACL is intact. Um, if there is a soft or what we call mushy endpoints, high suspicion for an ACL tear. Big thing is you want to compare it to the non-injured leg to see if there's any difference. And there's a grading system for Lachman. Grade 1 being uh, less than 5 millimeters of translation, meaning the tibia moving 5 millimeters with respect to the femur. Grade 2 being 5 to 10 millimeters, and grade 3 being greater than 10 millimeters. And then they've got a sub-point, which is A or B. A meaning a a firm or firmer endpoint, B being a soft or no endpoint.
0: Right. Now, I've seen a lot of people... Do the Lachman's exam, but I also know there's an anterior
2: drawer. Now, do you, do you typically use that exam as well, or do you uh, kind of generally go with the I don't, um, and the reason I don't use it is that you can be fooled with that test, um, because if somebody has a PCL tear, hmm. posterior cruciate ligament tear, and the knee is already sagging back, um, when you pull it up, you may think you're getting an anterior drawer, but it's really that you're just reducing the tibia. And so I don't feel like that test is as sensitive for that reason. The other reason being, you've got somebody who just tore their ACL, and they really can't bend the knee that well. You're asking them to bend their knee to 90 degrees to test it. A lot of people won't tolerate it, and so that is, you know, that's it's tough to to kind of get that test accomplished um, in the uh, in the exam room. Okay. And also, just since we're talking about some of the special
1: tests for the ligaments, uh, are you familiar with the uh, pivot shift test as well?
2: Yes. Do you ever use that? So that test is, again, is another one that's pretty difficult to elicit in the office just because of pain and swelling. But it is something I use uh, uh, constantly in the operating room before uh, um, you know we perform the operation just to get a good idea of how unstable the knee is. Um, and um, it's, it's more of an academic exercise you know, for me because that by that point you're in the operating room. Obviously, you've got a physical exam. You've got an MRI that confirms the diagnosis. I use it more if there's a partial tear in the ACL. I'm not sure if they're going to need a reconstruction. And um, it's something that can help in the decision-making, but it's not the, the only test that I use. So, so once you do the, the physical exam, you kind
0: of just touched on it a little bit there. So once you do the physical exam, you do your special tests, which are, you know, positive, what imaging do you want to kind of look for? Uh, what do you order after that?
2: So we usually start off with x-rays um, and that's usually make, rule out any fractures, make sure they don't have arthritis. Sometimes you can get something pathognomonic called a Sagan fracture or it's, it's like a capsular avulsion on the lateral side. That's not always, a, a, but usually if you see that as pathognomonic for an ACL tear, I start off with uh, x-rays. That's my first start.
1: What Use do you have for the MRI in this type of uh, injury as well?
2: Yeah, so I'm pretty aggressive at ordering an MRI, um, just from the standpoint of wanting to confirm the diagnosis and then rule out any other issues, rule out a meniscus tear, rule out a tear to the PCL, the collateral ligaments, posterior lateral corners. So I'm very aggressive at ordering an MRI if my suspicion is for an ACL tear.
0: And, and, and when you do order an, R, an MRI, what are like? How do you s- systematically approach the
2: MRI when you're reading the knee? Uh, when you're looking at the knee films yeah so i think like anything in life you know you want to have a, a a good system um so for me i usually start with the sagittal slices and i start on the lateral side of the knee um and you're looking for a bone bruise pattern um and then i as you know usually the bone bruise pattern is on the lateral side of the knee a posterior lateral tibial plateau and the kind of mid-third of the lateral thermocondyle. if you see that bone bruised, then it's almost certain that because of the rotational injury, the patient has torn their ACL. I go towards the middle of the knee and look at the ACL, PCL. As I'm scrolling through, I look at the menisci, both laterally and medially, and that's usually I start with the sagittal and then I'll look at my coronal views to look at the collateral ligaments. So the ligaments on the side of the knee, make sure that there's not an MCL injury or a posterior lateral corner injury. And then you're able to look at the bone. But I think the big thing with the MRI is just having a system. Right. Okay, and um, so
0: once you once you've done that, you know we've done our physical exam, we got our MRI, which which confirms that the patient has had a an ACL injury. How would you describe that to the patient, uh, and then how would you describe that amongst, I guess, residents and physicians and you know the different bundles, et cetera, of the uh, ACL.
2: So yeah, to the patient, um, you know, essentially, you know, it's a tough. You know, tough discussion to have. But basically, you know, I tell them this is what's going on. A lot of times before I've ordered the MRI, I explain to the patient why I'm ordering the MRI. So it's not as much of a shock to say, hey, you know, hey, you sprained your knee, we're getting an MRI. That's not your discussion. Hey, I I have a suspicion that you tore a ligament called the ACL. I want to get an MRI to confirm that. And so a lot of times it's the first thing. And then the discussion from there basically is you know, what are your activities? What are you hoping to get back to? And from there, we can discuss whether it's somebody who may be a surgical candidate or somebody you treat non-operatively. Um, as far as, you know, I don't, I don't work with residents. I'm in private practice, but as far as with residents, I mean, the biggest thing, again, is, you know, with any, you know, you want to know anatomy. So, anatomy of the knee, what does the ACL do? Um, again, treatment options, and then what are you hoping to, re- restore with surgery so the patient can go back to act. absolutely so I, I guess
1: that's a good uh, a good point to transition on to treatment options so uh, i guess what how do you determine where you would like to go as far as with the uh the treatment for these type of injuries
2: yeah so a lot of the treatment is the treatment uh discussion is based on what the patient's goals are for so if you have a 25 year old kid who injure the knee playing basketball and hopes to go back and play basketball, um, then I, I'm more aggressive at recommending surgery because the ACL is necessary to do any pivoting, pivoting cutting, shifting movements. Um, if you don't have an ACL, it does increase your uh, risk of tearing uh, the menisci, so either medial lateral meniscus, or injuring the cartilage. Um, conversely, if I have a you know, 70 year old uh, male or female who slipped on ice, tore their ACL, which is you know putting some groceries in, and really not active besides doing some light jogging or walking around the track. No sports. Uh, be more likely to try to steer them towards non-operative management with physical therapy, bracing, activity modification.
1: Absolutely. Well, and also just since we're on this point. At this point, say this was a much younger patient, maybe a 12-year-old patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did, you looked at the X-ray and you saw that the, he still his physis was still open. Uh, does that change the treatment plan or options that uh, anyway?
2: Uh, yeah. So if they've got a complete ACL tear, it's a skeletally immature patient. A lot of times we we're, we were definitely recommending surgery um, just because again the risk of uh, injury to the meniscus. Uh, chondral injury um, and those kids are going to be uh, some of the most active you know the biggest thing is just you know realizing that again the kid is skeletally immature because some of the adult type techniques that are being used cannot be done in kids because of the growth plate okay and that's
1: and you, you you always lead us on to yeah. uh, in a good way so yeah. what are some of the techniques that you use as far as some of the surgery uh, options for uh acl tears?
2: so acl tear so there's Two main options you can take uh, because because you cannot repair the ACL and put stitches in it because there's the, the ends of the uh, the torn fibers heal with some fibro uh, fibrous tissue that is not amenable to repair. Uh, we recommend a reconstructing, meaning giving you a new ligament. And there's a couple options you can uh, take the tissue from the patient's own body, called an autograft or you can take the tissue from a cadaver, called an allograft. And there's advantages, disadvantages of each. As far as taking it from the patient's own body, uh, the biggest advantage is there's no risk of disease transmission. Um, And if you look at the the literature, uh, there's a lower retear rate, particularly in kids under about 25 years of age. So lower retear rate, no risk of disease transmission, tends to heal and incorporate a little bit quicker. Um, The disadvantage of taking it from their own tissue is it's essentially, I'm not going to say two surgeries in one, but there is some, you know, harvest site morbidity, you know, having to take tissue from somewhere else. Um, So there's always, you know, inherent risk with that. Um, As far as taking it from a cadaver, the surgery is a little bit quicker, um, smaller incisions, um, but there is a, a... A slight risk of disease transmission, depending on the tissue bank, those risks can be very low, like 1 in 1.6 million, but still theoretically a risk. Um, um, And then, assuming that we talk about your case here, the 25-year-old, a lot of times I'm recommending that the patient take it from their own body and autograft uh, because to decrease the retear risk. And then there's options as far as taking it from the bone, patella tendon bone, uh, or taking it from the hamstrings or even the quadriceps tendon. Um, and so uh, I have a discussion with the patient, but uh, you know, I have a preferred technique, which is the bone patella tendon bone. Uh, a lot of it is biased just by how it was trained, but also if you look at professional athletes, which is the most common group getting this reconstructed. a lot of them are getting the bone patella tendon bone because the, you're putting bone in a tunnel with bone, so it tends to incorporate, I think, a little bit more quickly rather than relying on soft tissue to heal the bone. But if you look at the literature, there's really no difference in terms of which graft to use. You just want to use one that's you know you're most comfortable with. Yeah. And,
0: and what are some of the the common? Uh, I guess I, well I'll say what are some of the common mistakes that are kind of seen in these surgeries? So when you're doing an ACL surgery, and you're doing um, and you're doing bone to bone, you know, using a patella autograph, Like what are just common uh, things that it might and I, might even, might not even just be. Patella surgeries, but just an ACL reconstructions in general. Yeah,
2: so the biggest, you know, error as far as technical error is just putting the tunnels in the right location, because um, you know you can put them incorrectly and it can lead to complications like stiffness, uh, instability with rotational movement, and so tunnel tunnel malposition is probably the most common complication technical error. Um, you can get some stiffness uh, afterwards. That's not necessarily can't be related to surgery, but not always. Um, and you know, inherent with you know specific grafts, you know, with bone patella tendon bone, always at risk of you know, patella fracture, or with hamstrings amputating the, the tendon. But biggest, you know, the biggest issue is probably the the tunnel position. So you want to make sure you see somebody who's comfortable doing the ACL reconstruction.
0: And where, what would be a good aiming point, I guess, for the tunnel, and, and like, what is a good tunnel position that you should be aiming yeah, for? Yeah.
2: So the biggest thing uh, is on the uh, the femur. Okay. You want to uh, traditionally um, there was a technique where you drilled the femoral uh, tunnel or socket through the tibia, what we call trans-tibial technique, and that tend to put the graft a little bit more vertical or at the twelve o'clock position. And what we're finding is that you want to try to get the graft a little bit more horizontal to correct or uh, control some of the rotation so um, you know you're looking at more of a, uh, a nine a ten o'clock position or a two or three o'clock position depending on which knee it is so basically a little bit more lateral on the wall versus more vertical and then you want to make sure that you're posterior enough meaning um, you're close to the edge of the uh, femur on the back side but not through it so usually what we say is about one or two millimeters of cortex on the back wall, and then you're
0: talking about when we're when we're entering when we're starting off the drill. Exactly. That, that okay, okay, exactly.
1: Yeah, I was just going to ask. Uh, so, because this often happens in athletes, and they go back to playing again, and sometimes they have retears and different things like that. Uh, is there anything that you have to do different sometimes if it's a happen to be a revision surgery, or they had a prior ACL yeah. surgery uh, previously?
2: Absolutely. Um, so if it's a re the biggest thing is finding out why did they re-tear. Is it, uh, were the tunnels put in the wrong position? Um, was the wrong graft used? Or was it just unlucky? Um, and so, you know, that can be determined by getting additional imaging, like a repeat MRI CAT scan. Um, and then getting a good history uh, from the exam, a history and physical Making sure that another injury wasn't missed, like a PCL tear or a posterior lateral corner injury, something else. So that's really want to take your time and get as much information before kind of jumping back into the pool. And that's, I'm actually glad that you mentioned that. So for some of
1: these um, athletes who might have, or just common people, if if they have associated injuries like the uh, uh, meniscus or or. Uh, PCL Is there, I guess, does that change the the treatment plan in in any kind of way?
2: Yeah, I mean, it it does. Um, Not every PCL tear requires surgery, Um, but, you know, if there's a complete PCL tear, that may require reconstruction of the PCL as well. And so that's something where you're going to want to have a discussion and review the imaging. The biggest thing is that you don't want to make a a decision based on just the MRI. You want to examine the patient because you may get a read of an MRI where it shows a a partial piece here, PL, PCL tear or uh, grade two PCL tear, but you examine somebody and do a posterior drawer, and the knee feels very stable. And so you don't want to do unnecessary surgery or do surgery that may not necessarily address uh, the patient's uh, symptoms. Absolutely.
1: That's, uh, and that's actually exactly what I was wondering. Um, so other than that, I mean, with the revision surgery, um say you do it you've done it the second time I guess is there a certain point where you just stop doing these surgeries or you have to start thinking of something different
2: Uh, gosh I mean thankfully I haven't gotten to that point of seeing mm-hmm. that yet <laughs> <laughs> uh, knock on wood but uh, I mean certainly there's I, I guess there's a point when you stop but you really have to figure out why I mean if they certainly if they're developing arthritis in the knee uh, that is a good reason to, to say hey, I'm not going to continue to reconstruct the knee maybe somebody who's candid for, you know, uh, some type of arthroplasty surgery. But again, you gotta look at age, you gotta look at a lot of variables. You know, certainly if there's somebody who's got a history of infection or, or blood cloud or some other medical issues that may make surgery unsafe. But, um, yeah, you know, we try to do our best to kind of recreate the anatomy and get somebody back to the activity level. So, um, you don't hear of too many of those those episodes.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: and I kind of had a more of a general question, um, but I know
0: I guess back in the day it used to be a lot of people used to do like the double bundle ACL uh, reconstructions, and you know I guess they they're supposed to. Well, I guess this is my question. So, in the double bundle, could you tell which one would be the anterior medial bundle and the posterior lateral bundle if you use a cadaver or like how would like how how does that necessarily? Yeah, work? so
2: there's some areas of the country where that that was pretty popular. I don't know if it's as much now. And basically, you know, the ACL is made of, uh, you know, two bundles. Um, There is a a posterior-lateral bundle and anterior-medial bundle. And so, you know, when you're doing a reconstruction, it's hard to really have both bundles as separate entities. So you can put it in a place where you kind of get the best of both. And then there's been some studies where maybe you try to do two bundles. It's technically very difficult to do, which is why it really hasn't Caught on and clinically, I don't know if there's much. I mean, clinically, so if you've got two patients, one that's a single bundle and one that's a double bundle, we don't know that one necessarily does better than the other. So, if there's real no difference clinically and one is a little bit easier to perform than the other, then it would make sense to try to do the more technically reproducible surgery. Um, so, that I don't think that's as much popular now. If you use a cadaver graft, you can. Certainly have it constructed to to be two bundles, but you still got to drill those tunnels, and um, it just sounds you know sounds pretty straightforward. But again, there's some things that can go wrong. You mentioned enough technical complications that can occur with a single bundle, with a double bundle. That's uh, that's also even you know
0: higher risk. Now, now I did have a question yeah. that I forgot to ask earlier when you we were talking about the Lockman test, because we know we talk about the <clears throat> about the two different bundles about the anterior medial and the posterior lateral yeah. I heard that the anterior medial bundle is tighter during flexion so is that the when you're doing the lockman test and are you mostly testing the anterior medial bundle
2: yeah I mean I guess you could say that the, the biggest bundle it's uh, responsible uh, for stability is the posterior lateral bundle um so it's really you know when when you're doing the test I'm not really specifically looking for a specific bundle. Um, but, yeah, in theory, that is a good point. I mean, that the yeah, intermeal bundle is tighter in flexion, so you are checking that. But when you do the pivot shift test, again, that's a good way to isolate the posterior lateral bundle and see how competent that is. So, the bigger one is the posterior lateral bundle as far as rotational stability. All right. And I guess kind
0: of, so when we, when we have this patient, they, we've diagnosed them, and they've had their treatment, they've had their reconstruction. What are we looking at as far as rehabilitation time for these patients?
2: Uh, great question. So rehabilitation, I tell people, is, uh, is a minimum of six months. Right. Uh, I start people, my patient, to the physical therapy the day after surgery, uh, working on trying to regain the range of motion and then building up the quadricep strength, which is takes up the majority of the time during physical therapy. Um, so a minimum of six months, but depending on what kind of type of activity you go to, I take care of a lot of collegiate athletes and uh you know, if they injure their knee a lot of times even at six months they're not even gonna be eligible to go back. So sometimes it takes the full nine months or even a year. So everybody recovers a little bit different. You know, you all hear about Adrian Peterson being able to kinda of go back yeah. to six months, but that is not the norm. You know, right. he's a he's a freak. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this was great. Uh,
1: this was a great talk And I mean I think that's a good way To end it I like ending it On a little comedy there <laughs> and I like Adrian Peterson Yeah everybody like A little uh, yeah, AP Absolutely yeah. um, So but before we go Dr. Bonag uh, We always like to tell Our listeners A way to reach uh, Our speakers Our guests So what's the best ways To, to reach you and, and find out more About Dr. Nicholas Bonag
2: Yeah so you know We're on our, our website I'm with the group Pinnacle Orthopedics In Marietta, Georgia So it's uh, www.pinnacle-ortho.com, uh, and uh, that's one way of just looking up our website. And then my personal email is just my first initial last name at gmail.com. If anybody's got any questions, and just just so they know, can you spell that out for him? Uh, the email. Uh, oh yeah, N and then B as in boy. O N N A I G at gmail.com.
1: All right. Well, there it is. Uh, thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. Bonag, and uh, thank our listeners for
2: listening. Yeah, thanks for having me and congrats to you guys uh, on a uh, exciting time ahead.
0: Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nail It Ortho podcast. I hope you enjoyed this great overview of ACL injuries. Um, I feel like, you know, hopefully after listening to this, you're able to kind of triage and uh, see these patients in clinic. And kind of have a better idea of what's going on, you know, treatment plans and, you know, even some of the, the thought process behind surgery. Now, uh, if this is your first time listening to us, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating and leave us a review. Write down your thoughts and your feedback. And we love to hear it. So follow us on Instagram also at naileditortho. And if you have any questions and you want to reach out to us, our email is naileditortho@gmail.com. Until next time.